Jesus said to everyone who would be his disciples in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Dr. Michael Youssef. I think anyone who knows the scripture with this at the moment, he said, what is this thing about new? How can that be a new commandment when the greatest commandment in the Old Testament is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself? How can that be new? We'll find out the answer to that question and more when Dr. Michael Youssef shares his insightful teaching on this episode of Leading the Way. You will appreciate the words of challenge to love, especially in a time and a culture that seems to enjoy pointing out the sins and the flaws of others. Do remember to let Leading the Way's team know how and where you listen, watch, and connect whenever you get in touch with us. And you can reach the team at 866-626-4356 or ltw.org. More on that later. Right now, though, let's listen to Dr. Michael Youssef. In John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How can that be a new commandment when the greatest commandment in the Old Testament is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself? How can that be new? Thank God he gives us the answer in the next sentence. And this is what is new. As I have loved you, so you love one another. That's what's new about it. You say, why? Because nobody ever seen this kind of love. Nobody loved like Jesus. In verse 35, he said, By this love, the world will know that you are my disciples. Whose disciples? When the world sees the disciples of Jesus loving one another by the power of the Holy Spirit, supernaturally, divinely. Now you notice that he did not say, the world is going to appreciate you for that love. He did not say, the world will applaud you for your love. He did not say the world is going to welcome that kind of love or going to welcome you because of that kind of love. He said, no, the world will know you by that love. That's how they're going to know you. They may not like you, they may hate you, but at least they will know you by this kind of love. Something else I don't want you to miss here before I get to the message. He did not say that this love is going to be easy. Did you get that? It's not going to be, he didn't say this is a walk in the park. He didn't say that's going to come naturally to you. No, in fact, in the last message we saw that the first mark and the first step of being a disciple of Jesus, we're not the disciples of this church, we're not disciples of church leaders, we're disciples of who? The first step is to have absolute loyalty to Jesus. And when that commitment to absolute loyalty to Jesus takes place, he takes over. He takes care of the rest. So the second mark indication of being a disciple of Jesus is loving Jesus, but also loving like Jesus. Loving like Jesus. Now, if you already ask the question, 
Who in the world can love like Jesus? You're not alone. You're not alone. I've asked that in the past, and indeed, I ask that question often. But hang in there with me, okay? <laughs> Let me highlight the greatest challenge first before I get to the core of the text. I want to highlight the challenge, and it's unprecedented in my lifetime, and I know in most of your lifetimes. The challenge for the disciples of Jesus right now in this 21st century, when it comes to love like Jesus, we have a modern challenge. Every generation has its own challenges. I'm not denying that at all. But we have a unique challenge right now about love. Because in Western culture, we have torn that word love to shreds. Love now means loving sin, not just the sinner, which we're commanded to, but loving the sin. Loving now means love what is wrong and shun what is right. Loving now means that objective truth is wrong. But loving like Jesus means, listen to me please, it means absolute, total, unequivocal obedience to the Word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, in today's world, if you love me, you will let me, and then you fill in the space. That's really what is going on in the very core of our culture today. And you notice where the emphasis is here. Me, 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 me. But Jesus' love is not focused on the one who wants to be loved. Jesus' focus is on the one who's doing the loving, not the one who demands it. Someone would say, oh, Michael, are you trying to tell me that I should do all the loving and not expect to be loved back? Bingo! <laughs> As I said before, that our culture has perverted the whole concept of love. Some use love as a leverage to get others to do for them what they selfishly want. The whole focus is on a demand of the recipient of love. The whole emphasis is on the never condemning what God condemns, and never hating what God hates, and never rejecting what God rejects. In fact, those who reject what God rejects, they are condemned as unloving. They immediately cancel you. They immediately ostracize you. And I'm highlighting this perversion for a reason. Listen to me, please, <laughs> because we need to protect ourselves from this error that is rampant in schools, that's rampant in society, it's rampant in many walk churches. Not only just protect ourselves, but also in order to warn and help those whom we disciple for Christ, our children. Now, beloved, we must teach the next generation that it is out of love that we condemn sin. Why? Because sin is harmful, because sin hurts families, because sin destroys communities, because sin creates an upheaval in society, and ultimately sin dishonors God. And if you love Jesus and love like Jesus, we must point to the harm of sin. Don't ever hesitate 
Don't ever hesitate. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Whose disciple? Then John 13, where Jesus told them to love one another, it was right after he washed their stinky feet. <laughs> and beloved, this is not a derogatory term. This is not smelly feet. I said the stinky because it was stinky feet. <laughs> this is a fact. Back then, they did not wear socks and nice shoes and, and ride on cars and walk on paved roads. No, they were either barefooted or flimsy sandals and walking in dirt road. Not only that, but the washing of the feet when a person, a guest comes into the house was always relegated to the very lowest in the service hierarchy among the servants. It's the very lowest. Even in British aristocracy, you'll never have a butler do the work of a footman. Think about it this way. That was the task that was given to the lowest among the servants. But there's more. You and I may understand Jesus washing Peter's feet, right? He's the COO. He was the chief operating officer of this outfit, the disciples. He was a chief disciple. You understand Jesus washing his feet. You understand Jesus washing John's feet. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he leaned on Jesus' shoulder. But Judas, Judas' feet... Jesus knew that Judas already sold him down the drain. Jesus knew that Peter is going to deny him three times. Jesus knew that every one of them are going to flee and leave him all alone. And yet the explanation is in verse 1 of chapter 13. Verse 1, he loved them to the end. We probably would say he loved them to the bitter end. To the bitter end. There is no end to his love. Now, beloved, this is not human love. This is not self-serving love. This is not selfish love. This is not possessive love. This is not twisted love. This is redemptive love. This is divine love. This is brand new kind of love that they've never seen or experienced before. And that is why I said in the very beginning, it is neither natural nor easy. This is supernatural. And this supernatural love is why we can never, never, never manufacture. We can never, never accomplish in a hundred lifetimes. We cannot do it in our own strength. Only God can love through us. And that is why it is totally required a total and absolute surrender and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit of God can empower us to exercise this type of love. One of the most amazing stories that I've ever heard was back in the time when I used to travel in Asia a great deal, and it took place during the Korean War. A Christian civilian was arrested by the communists, and they passed sentence that he is to die by firing squad. When the communist officer in charge to order the shooting found out that this Christian man is running an orphanage for children. He decided to spare his life. But instead, he decided that he's going to shoot and kill his 19-year-old son. 
in front of him. And the Christian believer was forced to watch his 19-year-old son being shot to death before his own eyes. In the course of the war, that very same communist officer who ordered the shooting of the Christian man's son was captured by the Allied forces, and he was tried and condemned to death. Before the sentencing of this man, the Christian man went to the authorities, the Allied commander who was about to execute the communists, and he said to him, he said, Sir, will you please allow me to have this man given to my custody? He does not know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. And the commander in the Allied forces granted him his wish, and the request was granted. And the murderer was released to the father of the very young man he killed. The Christian man fulfilled his pledge. And the result of this Christ-like love, this redemptive love, this humanly impossible love, that communist officer later became a prominent Christian pastor in South Korea. Am I saying loving like Jesus is easy? No. Absolutely not. Only Christ himself can empower us to love like Christ. Whose disciple? And the question remains, how do we love like Jesus? How do we love like Jesus? Here are several steps I'm going to share with you from my heart and do with them what God leads you to do. Every time, that's the first step, every time you're hurt by a brother or sister or another disciple of Christ, now whether that hurt was intentional or unintentional on their part, because sometimes it's unintentional. The first thing, the first step that should occur is this. Confess to yourself, admit to yourself that, yes, she hurt me deeply. Yes, he abused me. Yes, she nearly destroyed me. Please do not deny reality. This is the problem. Don't deny reality. Admit the wrong to yourself. Admit it. Confess it to yourself. Do you get that? To yourself. And then ask yourself the question, did Jesus forgive me? Does Jesus continue to forgive me? Does Jesus keep on forgiving me? And you're going to find the answer is yes. Then how come I'm happy to receive forgiveness from his hand, but not dispense forgiveness to others in his name? Now, beloved, all of us, the disciples of Jesus, are compelled to love like Jesus. In my younger years, my modus operandi is that I will deal double of whatever is dealt to me. The short temper that would flare in a moment. Unforgiveness. But on a cloudy, dull day in Sydney, Australia in 1973, I went on my face before God and I said, I cannot serve you with this anger and temper. I actually used to blame God for that. But I did it very nicely. I wasn't belligerent about it. I, did it just, I just did it. God made me that way. Huh? Put the blame on God. I inherited from my father. It's just my disposition. God allowed this. God is the one who made me this way. And I tried to overcome by my own strength, and I failed 
miserably again and again until the Lord enrolled me in the school of loving like Jesus. And let me tell you, it is painful on the flesh. <laughs> but now that it has become part of my testimony through the years, it wasn't easy then, it is now. To this day, unless I'm walking with Jesus moment by moment, I find it difficult to love like Jesus. Again, let me remind you that loving like Jesus does not mean winking at sin. Certainly a sin in my life. I take the Scripture very seriously. And when I condemn the sin in my life, I escape the judgment of God judging that sin in my life. Loving like Jesus compels us to call sin, sin. Compels us to condemn sin. It compels us to never pretend that it didn't happen. Beloved, that's sentimentality. First of all, after you take the first step, and you verbalize it, confess it to yourself and to God, that the hurt is real hurt. The second thing is that I verbally, in the presence of God, and only in the presence of God. Did you get that? I'm going to repeat it. Only in the presence of God, I declare my forgiveness for that person. Just to God. Only to God. That's the second step. Because then and only then, when and if the person comes and asks for forgiveness, you're ready to dispense it. Listen to me. If they never come and ask for forgiveness, keep it between you and God. You dealt with it inside here, in your heart. Why I'm saying this? Because if you walk up to somebody and say, I forgive you, the person might never have been aware that he'd cause any hurt or just refuse to acknowledge it. I mean, you get yourself into hot water, which comes to the fourth step. When someone comes and asks for forgiveness, don't pretend that it was not a problem. Don't say, oh, that's all right. Don't do that. I know people do that. Don't say, oh, don't worry about it. They should worry about it. <laughs> Calling sin, sin, beloved, listen to me. Calling sin, sin is not being judgmental or harsh. It's being honest. It's being truthful. When a person asks for forgiveness, thank them. Thank them. Don't say, yeah, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. You see, forgetting, as I said, doesn't mean you're going to get knocked in your head and have a erasing of the memory. That doesn't mean that in the Scripture at all. When God forgives and forgets, it doesn't mean that God, somehow, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, lost his memories. No! But when the Bible talks about God forgets our sin, it means that he does not hold it against us in the future. It means that he does not keep an account ledger on the file and files it away and brings it out every payday. <laughs> it does not mean that at all. It means that he removed it from the debit column. It's no longer there. Then love like Jesus. You know, when Peter denied Jesus three times, after warning him, he denied Jesus three times. After the resurrection, Jesus didn't walk out to Peter and said, Peter, I forgive you that miserable thing you did, denying me after I warned you. No. 
He asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? So the question is, when do you think Jesus forgave Peter? I'm going to show you. Immediately, as soon as he heard the third denial, because the Bible said Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And after the resurrection, Jesus said to the women to go and tell the disciples and Peter of his resurrection. Something else I want to tell you as I'm coming toward the end here. When Jesus forgave the crowd standing there, here he is stretched on the gibbet, agony. He is saying, I forgive you, you miserable people. Or even just, I forgive you. No. He didn't talk to them at all. He talked to his father. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Forgive them. It was between him and the father. When you hurt, talk to your heavenly father about those who hurt you by forgiving them. Because only the Father can give us that supernatural power to forgive. Why is this so important? Why I'm harping at it like a broken record? Listen to me. The reason for that is because the Bible said, if I incline a sin in my heart, God will not answer my prayers. God will not answer me. Where's the incline? Inwardly, inside, where nobody can see it inside him. If I hide the sin of unforgiveness, if I nurture the sin of unforgiveness, if I host the sin of unforgiveness, if I entertain the sin of unforgiveness, God will not answer my prayers. Oh, please listen. There are some who are angry with God. You may be one who's angry with God for whatever reason, because he allowed something that's so unfair and unjust as far as you're concerned, and you're angry with God. And you say, why did he allow that? There's some people walking around angry with God. So when you need to forgive God, well, I find that very blaspheming. It's a blasphemy. You need to ask God to forgive you for not understanding that in all things, how many? God working together for the good. This is Leading the Way. Learn more about Dr. Michael Youssef and ministry impacting lives across six continents in 28 of the most spoken and understood languages when you talk with a ministry representative at 866-626-4356. Or you can go online to ltw.org. How do I love Jesus today more deeply than yesterday? How do I love Jesus more fully today than yesterday? How do I love Jesus more intimately today than yesterday? Do you have a desire to know God in a more intimate way, but don't know how to start? Leading the Way has a life-changing resource that's just what you need. Dr. Youssef has authored a devotional book that offers practical insight from God's Word to help you navigate the challenges of life. It's called the Daily Way. Each of the 365 Daily Way readings offer biblical truth about the topics of everyday life. Get your copy of The Daily Way right now to use it in your personal Bible study or read it together as a family. 
Order today on the online resource store, ltw.org. ltw.org. Right now, Dr. Youssef is making this powerful book, The Daily Way, available when you give a gift of any amount to the worldwide ministry of Leading the Way. Give us a call at 866-626-4356. Look for further details, too, at ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Okay, it's time to say goodbye now, but thank you for being with us. And do make plans to join Dr. Michael Youssef right here next time on Leading the Way. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. Learn more at ltw.org.